talking about covenantal community, which um, is a theme from a book. And if you are not great at reading books and you want to crush out a few chapters, this is the book for you. One chapter is front and back of a page is a whole chapter. So it's like, yeah, a whole chapter. Uh, almost, yeah. So it's a, it's a great, easy read. And the, the, the title is A Creative Minority, which this morning at our book club, this is the book we're using, we asked one another, what, do you, what kind of jumps to mind when you hear the words creative minority together? And I'd ask the same of you. But just to give you a little taste uh, from the back and front page of the chapter, uh, this is a little quote from Karl Barth, who describes the essence of a creative minority in the following way. He says, The church exists to set up in the world a new sign, which is radically dissimilar, okay, radically dissimilar to the world's own manner, and which contradicts it in a way that is full of promise. Okay, you hearing that? So radically dissimilar on the one hand, full of promise on the other. And both of them fitting together being the key. Uh, so, so today to sort of set up uh, our conversation, I want to tell a bit of a backstory on the Moravians. So you've probably heard us talk about the Moravian reading, uh, which is like a way to follow through scripture if you want to try to be more regular about reading the Bible. They do a thing where they give you three things to read, and, and in two years you'll magically read the whole Bible if you follow all of them. You know? so not magically, you actually have to do it. But they give you a plan. Um, but the Moravians have a really robust and, and interesting history that all kind of orbit around the, the, the initial figure. He, he helped get it going. His name is a difficult one to remember, so I'm going to read it. But it's Count... Anybody know his name? Zinzendorf? Zinzendorf? So Count Zinzendorf, his full name is Nicholas... Hang on, where is it here? Nicholas... Hold on. Zinzendorf. <laughs> We're just going to call him Nicholas Zinzendorf. But he uh, he was born as an elite, an elite into an elite family. So he was born into wealth. He was born into influence. And so there came with that a ton of pressure to kind of not enter a job that's of a lower class. And somehow he was convinced that he really wanted to be a pastor, which according to the class of his family was like, ooh, bad choice. That's a low class job. And so he was pretty pressured by his family to not do that. So despite that being his vocation, he kind of, he, he came to his family pressure and he took a job as a, as a liaison to the, the king of Saxon. And so he, he was a consultant to the king of Saxon, but he, uh, he still had that vocation that was kind of pastoral. And the way that it expressed itself is at the time that he was around, the Catholic Church was kind of oppressing some of the Protestant churches uh, and, and Mennonites and Anabaptists in particular, to the point where they had to kind of relocate, or it was difficult for them to practice their expression of faith. And so what happened that was really cool is, is Nicholas Zinzendorf, um, somewhere along the line, his grandmother passed away and willed to him this big property. And so he, he took this property and he decided to make it into a village where people that had been um, persecuted by the Catholic Church, is the way they described it, were able to go and live in community together. So three or four hundred people moved to this, this village. And over time, um, what, they, what the Catholic church, church sort of feared would happen did start to happen amongst this group that was living in this little village. 
village, like I said, it's called, well, it's called Hearn Hut Village, three to four hundred people, all that had been displaced because the Catholic Church didn't want them kind of practicing the way they were. They weren't being Catholic enough. Okay? And so what happened is they started having all kinds of conflict. These Protestants couldn't get along because they all had differences of opinion or differences in their practice. And so ironically, they were falling into the trap that the Catholics were concerned about, which is that they, that they would express religion in such a confusing spectrum of difference that it would, people wouldn't be interested anymore. And so in time, uh, Zinzendorf himself went to the village and went to every single house, went in, sat with the people, and prayed with them, and, and asked them to consider how they could be unified. So think of that. He went around to every single house and said, the key to this mattering is that we are a covenantal community that's unified. And the fact that we're fighting amongst ourselves is wrecking the whole thing. And in time, this turned into a covenant that they made with one another of how they would operate in community together. And so that was kind of the beginning of something that took on a life of its own. This Moravian influence ended up becoming this grand missional expression across the world and influenced a lot of other movements. And so incredible fruit came from this little community. And in the book, it summarizes it this way. Um, unbelievable spiritual fruit came from a tiny community in the middle of nowhere who covenanted together. They adopted this posture of being a creative minority. When we say creative minority, we mean they're not like everybody else around them, but they're finding creative ways to be helpful to everyone else around them. Okay? So they adopted the posture of a creative minority, and the fruit of their faithfulness was the way of Jesus influencing the world for generations to come. Even to the point where we're using their reading plan to try to read scripture more uh, consistently. So they're not the only ones that have been creative minority or that have seen the value of covenantal community. Jesus himself, we pattern, uh, we pattern, they pattern themselves after Jesus himself. We just want to look very briefly Luke 6, and then we're going to talk about some of the ways that we're trying to live into that covenantal community where we've been experimenting a bit at New Heights. And, uh, and a few people are going to speak to it, just three minutes or less each. So before we do, though, this is sort of the scriptural basis of where we're coming from. So in Luke chapter 6, we see this moment where Jesus pulls himself aside to have some time alone with the Father. Okay? So that's the first thing that we see kind of happening here. One of those days, Jesus excuse me, went up onto a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So we get this sense that this was a habit of Jesus, that he, he got downloads sort of from the Father, and that's what influenced the way that, you know, sometimes we think Jesus was God, and so he just knows everything. He doesn't have to, you know, he just knew everything all the time, and he kind of could just do whatever, and it would just be God coming out of him. But we do see this pattern, really, where he, he spends time communing with the Father, that there's a sense that Jesus himself values um, slowing himself down, listening, and then operating out of what he hears. We sort of call that an upward relationship. Okay, so there's this upward relationship that Jesus has. So from that upward relationship, the next morning, he calls his disciples, or a bunch of people that are following him, and from those disciples, he chooses 12 of them. 
who he also designates as apostles. So based on, we, we, we kind of derive the implication that based on his time with his father, he gets this sense that these guys, and it is a weird group that he picks. It's not the ones you'd maybe expect. There's a couple of outliers in there. There's a couple that you wouldn't, that maybe wouldn't get along very well. But he picks these, these guys, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so that's sort of this inward dimension, where Jesus is, is valuing the sense that a community together, working together, not just him alone, can accomplish something beyond what he could accomplish, accomplish alone. And then finally, with this new community, he went down with them, he stood on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. So a lot of people from all over who had come to him to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them. And so we get this sense that Jesus wasn't just trying to form this holy huddle where they just got together and talked about how holy they were. But he actually, the very first thing that he cared about with the people that he had called to be his inner circle of community was to not exist just for themselves, but to exist for others. And we see that just at the outset of how Jesus operated. So as a community here at New Heights, we've been experimenting with something called hubs. And you've maybe heard different expressions of this, uh, but we want to explain a little bit this morning what a hub is and what we, what, how we think it's a way that we can explore covenantal community that takes those three aspects seriously. So an upward dimension where we're learning to grow in our ability to connect with God, um, an inward dimension where we're not alone, but we're sharing life with one another, that we're inviting people to see the things in us that maybe need, need uh, community, and, and we're also being available to people around us. And then finally, that we're not just doing it for ourselves, but we're, uh, we're trying to be a community that has friendships widely with our wider community. So we don't exist to build a big Christian community only, but we're also, we're also really focused on trying to, to look beyond people that have an interest in Jesus. So we call them hubs, and a hub is basically made up of two things. On the one hand, there's an aspect where people that are interested in the same sort of uh, network, or the same sort of mission, we could say, or the same sort of, of uh, group of people, like maybe teenagers, get together and they say, we really want to create space where people in this network, or this neighborhood, or this um, demographic, have an ability to engage in communal living or communal kind of practices together and where they might not feel interested in a church. Okay, so there's a sense where people get together and say, the reason we're forming a hub is because we have the same heart for a group of people that would never step foot in a church. And so we feel like if we could get together and think through how we could create um, a, a group that is sensitive to people's sensitivities, then you're on the same page. Let's, let's link up and try that together. So that's one aspect, that there's kind of an outward view that people have in common of folks that they want to be kind of uh, sensitive to or open their homes to or open their lives to. 
And then on the other hand, um, there's an aspect of people that are coming together saying, the way that we want to do that, the way that we want to reach out beyond ourselves, is in a, a community with one another that pushes us to be the best versions of ourselves. Okay, so we call that a huddle. You've maybe heard this, in, if you've been around New Heights, maybe heard of huddles and missional communities. A huddle is this aspect of people saying, we want to grow together with other people that are, that are wanting to be challenged in the way that they're, they're taking their faith seriously. Okay? So that's the huddle. It's like a high challenge growth environment. But the huddle happens in the context of not just being a holy huddle, but one that's focused on creating opportunity for the world around to participate in what the huddle is kind of wanting to create, which is an openness to a wider community. So this morning, uh, we've got uh, five people answering five questions in three minutes or less about how we've been experimenting with that. And then we want to just open it up a little bit for questions. So I think Cam is up first, and um, I'm excited to hear from these five that we've been working together on this. So thanks, Cam. All right. Uh, that's three minutes, each of us, not three minutes for all of us. <laughs> just to clarify. Well, there's the 30 seconds. Scratch that idea. Here's my question. My question I'm trying to answer is, why do you feel like a discipleship focus mixed with mission is a good thing to invest our energy in as a church? So why do I think a discipleship focus mixed with a mission focus is important? Here's the first thing I want to say is that if discipleship and mission is not mixed, it's not biblical discipleship. <laughs> that the way that Jesus patterned, the way that he kind of laid out the pathway for making disciples is, those who make disciples are on a mission together. Those who are trying to follow the way of Jesus are on a mission together. And I'll just point you to the great <laughs> commandment. Anybody know where that's found? I know some of you know. Matthew 28, verse 18, says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and so on, teaching them to obey everything. Now, I just was thinking about this again. That phrase, go and make disciples, if you look at it in that original language, as you are going, make disciples. It's assumed that we're on a mission. So I think... That's what this says to me and to us in this modern day is that we need to live our lives so that we are on a mission together making disciples. The fruit of an apple tree is not an apple only. The fruit of an apple tree is another apple tree. And I've been really challenged with this idea of I don't want to just be at the end of the line in my discipleship. Who am I? I want to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. So if it's only this holy huddle that we have, this will all end. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying discipleship, following in the pattern of Jesus, goes hand in hand with this mission of creating space where we're building relationships with people that don't know Jesus. And nowadays people are not showing up in church like they used to back in the 90s. <laughs> I know the 90s, I send out 5,000 flyers and we, our church group. That doesn't happen anymore. 
and that's not what we're doing. That's what New Heights did. But that ship has sailed, and my three minutes are up. Next. <laughs> Who's next? Uh, Rebecca, why not? Don't use that, that's very dangerous. Hello, hello. Um, so my question is, how do we imagine our connections to people in the city growing and changing because of our commitment to hubs? So hubs is more of like the bigger, the missional community aspect. Um, and so I think for me, my experience of this has been just, like we'll often have potlucks where you invite people to them. Um, and I've seen it as like an opportunity for relationship. So we invite people and we might not necessarily be like, hey, here's Jesus. But it's just like a space where we can get to know people um, and invite them into our lives and join with them and begin to walk beside them. Um, and maybe down the line that leads to a deeper conversation about, I don't know, like what motivates our lives or where we find hope. But maybe it just begins with little connections. Um, and I think that is like really beautiful, um, just to be able to join together and be a community that loves one another. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Um, so I think like for me, as Greg mentioned earlier, missional communities can be an entry point to church for someone who has an aversion to church or who has been hurt by church. Um, and it's an invitation into something more, I think. So, yeah. uh, the question I have been answered, I'm gonna be answering is, what is a personal story of encouragement or another example uh, of some measure of success? So I think for me, some encouragement is, uh, as Greg was saying, like the purpose of this is not to be like a holy huddle. And I think in my experience growing up, that's what I've encountered as like small groups or whatever has been like this very inward and upward focus, but there's not been like a, a communal call to action to walk that out. And so for me, that has been like a, a huge, like kind of stressful thing where it's like, okay, you're gonna learn, you know, what we're gonna talk about today and then Later on, like when you're downtown Calgary with your friends on Friday, then you can like talk to a stranger about this. Like, just do it. Like, it's fine. Just do it. And that is like so stressful. And I think we've talked about this uh, as like a peaceful message. And, and if we're bringing a message of peace, it always felt weird that it was so stressful to talk about. And we were talking about this one night, and it was um, uh, actually Josh Abercrombie. It was like him and I are having this like moment where we're just like. There, there's a different way, I think, that Jesus outlines in Scripture and, and when he instructs his disciples to like, go out in Luke 10, right? It's like, go and sit and, and st uh, serve the people and stay with the people and have conversation with people, and then you can heal them, and then, and then, and then. And so I think for me that that changed my perspective on it. It's not like the first entry point is when I'm downtown Calgary with my friends, hey, let's talk about Jesus. It's like I'm building a relationship and uh, and then at some point, like Rebecca, and I think even Cam touched on is like then there's an entry point for that conversation to happen. So for me, that's like a, an encouragement and a success in that was like uh, one of these nights I was doing dishes in the sink and there's this guy who doesn't come to church standing in the, the kitchen talking to me and I've got a tattoo that's that I got when I was 18 is like a part of my testimony and he asked me what my tattoo was and I've only talked about my tattoo with other Christian people and I was really challenged to like 
explain why did I get Jesus' last words tattooed on my arm and what does that mean? Because like, there's no really a way to say that without being super, like, using super Christian language. And so that was a challenge, but it was like, in that moment, I was able to tell my whole testimony with him without feeling any stress and also without being like super Christian, you know, using this really weird language that you wouldn't understand. And that for me was like a huge success story of like how this model can work to help me build a better relationship upwards and inwards with the small community and then also put that into action uh, in an outward way. I think Ben's next. Yeah. yeah. Hey folks, so the site are missionaries when they when they head somewhere new, they have this kind of lingo of, of a that's called a model of discipleship. So I think in a way that's kind of what we're doing this morning is we're we're tipping our cards about how the leadership of New Heights understands that. So what what exactly is our model of discipleship? And where I think that becomes really practical and kind of would sink into probably everybody in the room is when you come to New Heights, one of the one of the, kind of the knee-jerk questions that somebody asks is, "Where's your community group? Or where's your Bible study? Or where's um, like my place that's outside of Sunday morning to come and fit in?" And I think what we're doing this morning is we're saying that that's a model of discipleship, but we we have a somewhat different model that doesn't it doesn't kind of betray what's the core value of of the model like Bible studies and stuff. But we're saying that we think there's a better model, a more Jesus-shaped model. So that's we're answering a few objections, and we're wanting to clarify, uh, we're wanting to clarify our model of discipleship a little bit more. So I'm speaking on behalf of my dad because he's doing, he's at the dojo doing Sunday school. So I'm just going to pull up his question here. So his question is, what are the ways that this proves to be hard for folks? that have expectations or experiences that differ from this. So this is kind of like hubs versus Bible study community group, okay? Clear? Hubs versus Bible study community group. So his answer was to that, which, which is, I'll restate the question, what are the ways that this proves to be hard for folks that have expectations or experiences that differ from this? So as he broke it down into three parts. Hubs require more teamwork and commitment they're not led only by church staff. This is, this is from Mr. A who led a Bible study for 30 years and never seemed to be able to replace himself or replace a, a leader to lead that Bible study. Secondly, he goes on, hubs take longer to form than care groups or seminar programs. They, de they depend more on relationships than organizations, therefore are harder to understand and to measure success. I think he's speaking really accurately. To, to that question that I first posed. Thirdly, notwithstanding number two above, hubs are designed to split apart and multiply. He wasn't able to do that, Mr. A. He, he would be fully okay with me saying that. Thus, constantly taking us out of our comfort zone. So my question is, why isn't this a program that everyone in the church gets invited to, and how does it grow our church? So our, one of New Heights' core convictions is articulated by another guy named Mike Green, and he said that if you build disciples, you get the church. But if you build the church, you don't necessarily get disciples. So build disciples equals church. 
build the church doesn't necessarily equal disciples. I forgot the next thing I was going to say. <laughs> so if we're thinking of that, the up in and out, which up, what does up refer to? Our relationship with God. What would in refer to? Our relationships with other Christians. And then how about out? What's a, what does out refer to? Yeah, our relationships to, to non-Christians, folks that don't yet know about Jesus and the, like the, transformative, the transformative impact that a relationship to him and a community of followers would, followers would have. So what, what happens if there is a group of Christians that only have an up, they're only up and in? All they have is a relationship with the God and a relationship with each other. What are they lacking? What piece? Out. Yeah, they would be out of balance. And then what happens if that community said, okay, I know that Jesus said that thing about go and, and make disciples of all the nations, so they want to multiply, but they're just an up and an in. What happens? What then would they multiply? Another up and in. So not only are they out of balance, but they don't have the, they actually don't have the ability to multiply. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Are you guys with me on that one? Tracking? So that therefore hubs are a high challenge environment for Christians. So that so it's it's a real it's a real difficulty for Christians that are used to up and in only to adopt this more Jesus-shaped model of discipleship that includes out. So the answer to my second to the second part of the question is. How does this then grow the church? And it grows the church because when folks actually want to adopt all aspects of up, in and out of their life, it, it ends up being quality over quantity. So if we just measured our success by how many people are coming to New Heights in the morning, that's not really the Jesus-shaped Jesus metric of success. It's, it's quality over quantity. And then... For that person who's following that Jesus shape of up in and out, it deepens their own personal experience of following Jesus because they're doing it with more accuracy. And secondly, because they have such a high value of out, but also up and in, it also extends their impact. So uh, I, I feel like we're kind of like we've opened up a, a slight can of worms this morning, especially what I just said there. So what we want to do, and I think we need some grace for, for the folks that shared this morning, is we want to field some questions, and it'll probably be me and Greg and, and whoever else shared piping up to answer some of those questions. So uh, anyone have questions just on the tip of their tongue? And if you have some thoughts, why don't you spend some time as other people are asking questions to maybe articulate some of the questions you have. Yeah, great question. So it's who we're learning from. Uh, it, we it, we kind of called it it's that it's revolutionary change at an evolutionary rate. So think of an udder on a ship. This is the biggest challenge for mega churches when they want to start when they want to start changing the core DNA of how they understand themselves, part of their model of discipleship. It's it's like it's massive change. We're a small church. So what we've done is we've really adopted hubs, 
we've developed a few hubs, and the hope is, is that those expand through discipleship. What are the hubs like you said, they all have a focus. Like, you know, you're like teenagers. Or, like, what are the, like, parts of the hubs that exist right now? Sure. So uh, the one hub is the Alfred hub. So we don't have, Alfred, so. Yeah, we don't have better language than talking about it as somebody's last name. And I don't, I don't, why don't you speak to that, right? Sure. So um, one of the things that we're trying to do, or the advice that we got in how we think about this, is filling your hub with Christians is a great way to eliminate your opportunity to have connections with people that aren't. And so purposely what we've done is focused on people that our kids, um, are their, their kids and our kids go to the same school. So it's a lot of people that are our parents um, along with our kids, you know, their kids and our kids were both parents at the same school. So that's a bunch of the people that we're in relationship with. But in our hub, what we're trying to do is create a space for people that are in our discipleship kind of core are inviting folks that they have chemistry with. So it's it's not limited to like uh, it's not limited to a neighborhood or to a people group. It's more a network. So you can do you can do this in a lot of different ways. For us, it's who are we networking with, and um, how do we get them in the same room? People that would probably get along to some degree. And then I think the other ones, uh, uh, there's been an Abercrombie hub as well, and then COVID. The hard thing about getting together over COVID is you weren't allowed, you know? So <laughs> our experiment came to a grinding halt during COVID. So we're kind of rebooting it. Um, do you want to speak a bit to what you're imagining? It's at, it's at the beginning stages. Sure. So it was my dad and I leading the Abercrombie hub for throughout, all throughout COVID, and we were just kind of using our network of relationships. Those that wanted to go on mission with us, kind of joined that hub team, the core team of Christians. And then it was also the people of peace in our life. So those non-Christians that wanted to be in our life. Since then, that's we're kind of in a division right now where I feel like I should lead young people. So people, young adults and people younger than me. And that's how, a ne that's how another hub really starts. Somebody sensing sensing a call from God to uh, go after a certain demographic. Which, that means a division with my dad. So my dad's going to be doing his own thing. And he, he feels like he, lots of the people of peace in his life are, are men. And men that are either a part of families or, or not part of families. So we, we kind of have three, three moving right now. Any other questions? Can I clarify something? Sure. Yeah, so instead of saying, anyone that wants to help Alana love her friends is invited, because you can see how that might not make sense. It's like, because they kind of have to be friends as well. Yeah. It's more based on who do you want to team up with to create community with? And then how can we as a church help facilitate that in a wise way? More questions? Yeah. Is a hub like a club? 
Uh, I mean, there's some things that would have in common with a club, like there's people in both and stuff, but um, more so, I think, no. So a hub is just uh, our word that we made up for the combination of two things. Uh, one is that there's a focus on people growing in a smaller group, and then one of the ways that they're invited to grow is by loving people beyond their smaller group. Okay, so that's, we call that a missional community on the one hand, and a huddle on the other. Combine those two, our word is hub. Okay. Yeah, just about, um, I'm hearing, which I think makes a lot of sense, that we don't have an agenda to necessarily grow the church just for the sake of numbers. We want to share what we're learning, how we're growing with people outside the church to see if it makes sense and see if we're attracted to it. Because it should be attractive if it's really good news. Mm -hmm. And that we try not to have an agenda, but if it happens to also bring them to Jesus, that's great, but if we never grew the church, but people care about each other more, and we made better friends and deeper relationships, I guess that's my question. Is that still in the top? I hear where you're going. Agenda. It's always having an agenda. I think that's pretty much top. We're supposed to evangelize, which means you need to bring people to God. I haven't done it yet in my life, but I'm on 32. I don't know. That's <laughs> not me. We have it. I think we, I just, I think we both like the way. So I like this, but I wonder about the agenda that we're supposed to be listening to people and growing in relationships without. Well, hopefully in six months you're going to come to church, and then maybe a year you're going to Christian. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great question and one that should be asked. So are we trying to somehow create an environment where we can sneak people in and then yeah. all of a sudden pounce on them somehow? Yeah. Right? No, <laughs> but, you know, like, no. That's what we all loathe, I think. That's like why we, it's a stain on the church, I think, for people, well-meaning folks that have been taught to, like, every opportunity, try to move it around to Jesus somehow, you know? Yeah. I think instead what we're saying is how do we have healthy community in our lives that, with non-Christians? Mm -hmm. And then if, it's not to say that we would be against having yeah. conversations that might provide them with something that would radically change their life in a good way. You know, whether it's like medical advice from a doctor or, you know, other advice. You know, so it's not like, no, we have something that would really help you, but because we're so worried about offending you, we would never say it. But I think the, the scope is more, let's earn credibility in relationship where that can be a longer conversation and it's based in like what the spirit is opening up and, and at what time. Instead of we have a hammer, that's the only thing in our tool case, or toolbox, and we're going to use it. Here we go, you know? It's more like, in community, as we're all getting to know one another, when opportunity expresses itself, it's hard to miss, but we're not going to make it happen. We're, we're, it's also valuable just to hang out and have fun with our neighbors and give them an experience of community that they have. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that Jesus gave a whole host of commands. One was, you know, go and care about yeah. the poor. Yeah. But, but another one was go out two by two. And like what uh, Cody was saying, like make disciples by going out two by two. And if your peace rests on somebody, it's rested on them. There's an opportunity. But if it hasn't, dust off your feet. Go on. Fernanda has a question. So huddle is part of hub. Right, and which one you formed first? So what we've, what we've learned is we did some huddles, and we didn't have the outward expression of them, 
and so then they didn't work that well. So we try, we're trying to do like doing it at the same time. So in Ben's case, sort of like who is going on mission with you is sort of the question he's asking. So who's going to help me in my work with younger people? But also, how do I experiment in a couple one-off events with younger people to see about the people that might want to help me with that? You know, so it's it's kind of happening at the same time. Um, but I think that if you're trying to do a mission on your own, then you should start by at least finding one other person or another couple or something to say, hey, we both have this sort of similar, and just a little plug here, I think one of the questions that comes up is, well, so how do I get involved? Like, I want to do something, you know? Um, we're hoping in the new year, not hoping, we're going to in the new year, do a six month, once a month workshop that talks about this stuff. And so if you're like, this is, this is like hard pass on all of this, just don't come to the workshop and you'll be fine, you know? <laughs> but, um, but if this is like, I'm kind of interested in at least learning more or, because the, the great thing about a hub is you don't have to just be the leader of it to be part of it. You could say like, I have a great home that could host something like this, but I don't want to be the one that everyone's looking at of like what's happening every night. So there's aspects where different people can pair up in different ways. The point is that they kind of have the same hope to create community or expressions of community that people would actually want to be part of. Okay, you have another one. Yeah, it's a, there's several different parts like coming in. Um, so you're talking about how like the hub, you've got a theme, a particular theme that you're kind of working towards. But if you start with like experiments and how does, so you don't actually start with theme of like, hey, I want to reach teenagers, where you kind of don't know who's coming alongside. Like it, it sounds like it's very organic and fluid and not very specific. It's also wondering like, if your intention is to create disciples, but you're feeling like you can't talk in your hub about your faith unless somebody else brings it up, then are you kind of not letting yourself be vulnerable and open and real and raw with these people? It's a great question. Yourself? And also it kind of puts you at risk of t if you're in a group of people that are all secular and you're trying to share what your experience has been, share your life story and your journey and your faith, then don't you risk losing that and taking on their secular view and it becomes just like a family, a group, like neighborhood hangout rather than a discipleship culture? It's a great, it's a great question. So I think um, to give an example of how we've been trying it, in the Alfred Hub, what we've been doing is having some events that anybody can come to, that we have chemistry of any kind with. So we had a Halloween party at our house, and there was, I think you were, you were at it, and there was just tons of people there, 30 kids, like, hiding in our laundry room playing hide and seek. You know, it was just ridiculous, but tons, tons of uh, parents and kids. And that wasn't a night where we're, where we're betraying the fact that we're followers of Jesus. It just wasn't something that was at all our focus on bringing up. But it was a time where we're getting to know people and having legit relationship with them. But then, hopefully, what would happen and is happening in our case is there's some couples that our kinds of conversations we're having with them, are they're more open to a deeper conversation. So we would have an, another time of gathering at our house, and it's like, come if you want to. We're going to be talking about our lives, so don't come if you don't want to talk about your lives. But for those of us that need that, we're going to be having that night. And, and then like as we grow trust and, and a, layer of, a level of comfort there, then maybe we'd say, hey, a lot of the people from the same group once in a while get together and talk about um, scripture, you know, which is a bit of a leap, right? 
And so the first time people are together in a way that would be like where we have a focus on discipleship, it might be like one person saying, here's something that's been going on in my life and how I'm changing because of God. And then maybe then, and then if people continue to want to have questions, we design another event. But all at the same time, there's a, a, a separate group that is growing in a more challenging way. And so it's two things are happening at the same time. One is more and more opportunity for people to explore things if they decide to. Okay, so that's the key. If they decide to come to something, then they're welcome. We're not going to push them to. Um, but then on the other hand, we have this challenging inner group where we're saying, okay, what is your life worth imitating? Before you have too much influence, let's ask if it's a good idea for you to have influence. You know, so that's, those are kind of, and we can talk deeper about that if you want. But I'm just conscious of the sake of time. Here, so. Yeah, I think be helpful for, to talk about like, our rhythm and our model idea. Like, I think that's kind of what that was. Yeah, just a quick version of it. But one, one quick consideration, it's noon. Yeah, so I think we're kind of wrapping up. Yeah. So we want to we wanna, uh, take this to the workshop. So if this is something you're like, I'd love to hear more about this, talk to Ben or me or any of the people that were up here. Um, and then there's, again, there's no pressure to say all of us are starting hubs this week and that's New Rights thing now. This is just something that's happening alongside of what we're doing in this expression. So thanks so much for listening this morning. Thanks for giving us a chance to share it. And as more questions come up, we hope we can keep talking about it. Um, I think because it's noon, we should just awkwardly end here. Set my phone up to start something. All right, so thank you, Lord, for time together today, for this beautiful day, for a chance to um, be community. And we saw that expressed in lots of different ways. Help us to express it as we go.